Hey guys, Maddie Wasserman here. Just wanted to let you know before we get to today's podcast, we actually recorded this before we heard the devastating news that the summer of 2020 will be unable to happen. But either way, we're going to be able to stay positive here on the podcast. We're going to be starting a YouTube channel. We're just going to get really creative here about delivering content and making us all think of better times at camp than what we have going on right now. We're going to continue to stay positive and just look ahead to summer 2021. So let's get to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of the Baco Sports Report on the Lachlan Lake Balfour Podcast Network. We have a jam-packed episode coming up today. We will be talking with Greg and Danny Silver about some of the sports that, you know, maybe don't get enough love at Baco. Because let's be real, we know you have soccer going on the lower, maybe some softball on the upper, of course, basketball and tennis on the courts, right? We're playing volleyball. We're doing stuff at the Superdome all day. But there's also those sports at camp, you know, the ones that everyone can play, classic evening act, capture the flag on the lower. Or, you know, you have Nukem going on and Gaga when you're a little kid. And all these sorts of integral sports, dodgeball, netball, these sports that make camp what it is and are really a huge part of the fabric of our camp. I think they deserve more recognition. They deserve more credit. So I figured today would be a great forum to talk about all those sports. And there's a lot of interesting evolutions and histories of these sports at camp because some are like Levine Ball or sports that were created at camp where others have, you know, been around for a million years that are played at camps across the country. So we're going to get into all of that and so much more. So Greg and Danny, I'll start by asking you this. What about these sports do you think is so crucial to making camp what it is? You know, diversification of activities at camp is one of the many reasons why any sort of person can be successful at camp. I think it works both ways with campers and with counselors. Uh, It gives campers an opportunity to shine in the less traditional athletic areas. Um, And it also gives counselors a chance to shine. Some of our best counselors we've ever had have been focused on those sorts of activities. And there's a laundry list of things we can go through. Um, but I mean, a, a sport like capture the flag or Levine ball or Nukem or, uh, or a lightning ball, you know, kids get excited for that. Even if they're not a great athlete, and if you're not a great athlete and you can to basketball and you know, you're not a great player and it's not one of your favorite sports, you might not be that excited about it. But then if you're, if you're assigned to lightning ball or Gaga or Levine ball, you actually might not be good at it, but like you don't care, you know, because it's like a, evens the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I know, you know, Greg's charged every day in the summer with the challenge of filling all the schedule boxes for all of the bunks. And it's impossible to, you know, just have the traditional activities. So, you know, over the course of the history of camp, you know, these other activities have been borrowed from other camps or created, you know, whether it be, Levine ball is something that, you know, is a variation of team handball that was created at camp or something like Nukem or Capsule Flag, which is played universally or Gaga, which is just a classic like day camp or sleepaway camp game. Um, you know, it's like a necessary evil, I guess, but it's not an evil because, you know, when you think back to anyone that was a junior division camper, it's those activities that get you from meal to meal. I would say that when I think of camp, one of the first things I think about is evening activity. When I think of evening activity, the first thing I think about for sure is capture the flag. And I would say it's not just for the younger kids in camp. Like, as a waiter, I love capture the flag. Like, capture the flag is one of those things that, like, 
any age can play because, like, there's some people in every bunk who are, like, maybe they're not necessarily, like, the most coordinated or they're not the best at shooting basketballs, but they can run in a straight line really fast and, like, or, like, plot out strategy to, like, get seven people to rush at once to, like, get the jail or, like, whatever, like, capture the flag is just a quintessential all-bunk activity and counselors and, like, so let's start by digging into that and what we see about capture the flag that makes it just such a communal special activity at Baco. One one thing that's been a a new tradition um, is the last couple of summers, so evening activity the first night of camp, like, after you pack, you know, you unpack, you make your bed, you eat some chicken nuggets, the, the first evening activity of the summer is a little bit of a tricky one because the deep, like no one's passed their deep water test yet. Uh, then, you know, it's evening activity. So like there's certain facilities that like might not be the best for the first night of camp. Like you're probably not going to want to go to the archery fields, a little buggy in late June. Um, and we haven't had like that introductory lesson at the basketball court. So it's got to be a little quirky activities and it's always just with your bunk and your bunk counselors. So if your bunk counselors are a tennis guy, a lacrosse guy, and a hiking guy, you're not getting assigned to basketball. So one thing we've done the past few years, Maddie, I'm sure you've realized this, is that Kowser House just has a massive game of capture the flag on the first night, the last like four or five years or whatever. They always act like it's a surprise, but if you think about it, it's pretty much not. And uh, I mean, that's just an unbelievable activity. A bunch of 13 and 14 year olds on the lower with socks out of their shorts chasing each other for 45 minutes with the counselors too, um, yeah, it's just a great way to kick off the summer. Yeah, the capture the flag is, your, is a great group game. Um, sort of what Greg was saying before, you know, kind of the pecking order of athleticism kind of goes out the window. Right. Even though it, it still matters in the result of the game, but like, no one really cares. It's um, you know, it's probably a, a game where the least percentage of kids pull the "I don't want to play" card. Um, you, you know, mostly everybody wants to play. And also, if you think about a capture the flag game on the lower, everybody's smiling the whole time. Like, when you're running, you're, like, laughing. When you're... You know what you like about capture the, the flag? The thing is, like, in basketball, it's only a certain amount of shots. Like, in baseball, it's only one person batting at a time. Capture the flag, like, you can create your own job yeah, even if it's like on. completely unimportant you can like think you're important at capture the flag like and that's coming for someone like me who definitely has done that many times like yeah, it doesn't you matter jail, you could free the jail you could guard the fl- yeah there's a lot of, i mean that's why the game exists it's a great you don't need much equipment you just need socks and shirts right you just have the lower um, you have the lower field which is just a massive field to just run around on you know it's activities like that where the pressure to pump participate and produce are lower so you're so like the participation rate is higher and like how upset or happy you get when you win or lose is like really not a thing right and i think that that's kind of what we're going to be hitting on it's a good mix from like leagues and uh you know the more competitive activities which is why which is why they exist you you can't push the pedal to the metal the whole time for 51 days of camp it's like it's unrealistic or even six periods a day you need you need some of these where like it's low stress but high activity and i think Um, that that's what we're going to see with all of the topics we're talking about today right we're making use of the same camp facilities and we're still being kind of competitive but it's much more inclusive and much more 
everyone yeah. can be able to play and participate. So what I want to talk about next with Capsule Flag is I know you mentioned this earlier, Craig, that when you were at camp, there was all camp Capsule Flag. I want to understand the logistics of this because to me, I mean, I feel like when you play with your entire bunk and counselors, that's like enough people. Like you're not, that's, that's a lot. Like how are you playing well, all I mean, camp? It was, all right, well, Maddie, first of all, the first thing that you probably, I don't know if you know this, the boundaries were the whole camp. Yeah, we used the, the entire camp. As it wasn't just, it wow. wasn't just, you know. You did? Oh. It wasn't just 80 on 80 on the lower. It was 80 on 80 or whatever, you know, 100 on 100 throughout the whole camp. And the way it worked was. Well, let's, was, Danny, before you give the boundaries, let's give, a, let's give an era. What were the years we were doing this? We're this was a late talking, 90s thing? We're probably talking early 90s. Um, maybe we got. And we probably only did it maybe four or five times, but I, maybe we was might. It, just, have, it wasn't the safest activity. was not the safest activity. That's probably why we didn't do it. One, it was hard to supervise. And two, just the running on different, especially the gravel parts of camp is like always a roll of the dice. So I think, I think it was during the time period when the, the area behind bunks 10 and 11 was were wooded like nine ten and eleven now that that empty where that that, you, that used to be all woods i don't know if you know that i Maddie. never knew that i think it was still woods back then which was like an unbelievable part of the game um and the way the boundaries were so, so there was a if you start from the office there was a rope and they lined it with cones that literally went down past the council ring like like basically where like the, like the, the, the now. circle all the way down to the lower and basically that divided the camp in half so one half was like the lower the lower soccer field the tennis courts the basketball courts the upper field and then the other half was like basically the village where everybody lives like you know the waterfront and where uh, were the flags back the so, well but before we get to the flags just know that that fence that is that wooden fence that's up by the canteen yeah. That um, like by like by by that weird patch of grass, sort of by, between the council ring and the office. Yeah. That fence that's right there was not there, so that that became a place where you can run back and forth. It just wasn't the fence wasn't built yeah. at that point. So the flags, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. One flag, it's on the upper. Was on the upper. See, it was also really unfair. Like if you were retrieving the flag on the upper your run to the midline was much easier like you had just nothing but open flat surfaces where the flag on the other side this is it was between bunk four and the dining room like kind of in front of oh wow. behind bunk four yeah behind bunk four so like to get that flag you kind of had to run on that slant of like that junior division hill or you had to run between the dining room and the waiter bunk like by the infirmary on like gravel. Um, and it was also like, it was really easy to enclose that area with like defenders. So the game, I mean, I remember Corey Ziskin once getting the flag. Here's a guy who was a year older than me in camp, sick athlete, one all around athlete. I think he played football at Cornell, ridiculous lacrosse player, soccer player. Great kid. He, he wiped out so bad on the gravel. He probably still has, like... Yeah, I feel like that's, like, the classic thing where it's, like, that or, like, a track meet. Anytime you're sprinting on gravel, like, bad things tend to happen. Yeah. I feel like if the, if the flag wasn't a towel or a pillowcase or whatever it was, if it was, like, a, a football or a tennis... Not, not a tennis ball, but if it was a 
you know, some sort of ball where you could lateral it, it would be a little bit easier for the team that was getting it from the bunk behind bunk four over the midline because because there were strategies. You can go around buildings and around trees. Oh, but as and far as the team other team the team other team that was that had the upper field to run, it was just it was just pure speed. Yeah, it was speed. And the jails, I think the jail one jail was the Arts and Craft Shack. The other jail might have been like a soccer goal. The soccer goal. But when you when you rethink the game now, when you're playing whatever eighty on eighty or hundred on hundred or whatever it is, like should probably have more than one flag on each side like you know like well i don't understand like if you have someone like chasing someone else down by the lake how do you know if someone has now retrieved the flag on the upper oh you know what actually that's a good question so back then there weren't a bunch of radios in camp maybe maybe the warbens had radios maybe um, the division heads didn't know, you, you know, the, you know, the waterfront. I think just Bob and Barbara had them. I a- think that was one of like the few events where like the radios got busted out. And there was like a couple of radios that maybe some older counselors had. And it was like, you know, those moments in camp where you like know something's different or like it's more serious where like the big guns are laid out. It was one of those where like, like at the banquet when you wear a collared shirt. Yeah, just, like, it was one of those where, like, even if you were in camp for a long time, you knew, like, wow, I, I don't see this very often. You know, like, the radios and the, the counselors, like, laying out twine across the whole camp. Like, you knew something crazy. It was really intense to get it to work right. And, uh, you know, we pulled it off a couple times, so there's a reason, I think, why we stopped. We could probably rethink it and think of maybe a different way to do it now, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it was I remember when the f- when the fence was built, we were like, "Oh, that's it! No more all camp caps to the flag." Is we couldn't like, you know, negotiate around that. It was also probably just it was a tough activity. It was a tough one to supervise, a tough one to do without getting hurt. Yeah, so I think that capture the flag definitely, whether it's on the lower traditionally, as I would say, or the all camp one, that's just a game where everyone can play at once, but. Another game that I think really suits everyone because it takes, I mean, maybe a little coordination, but really pretty minimal is Gaga. So when I got to camp, the Gaga um, pit was already built in, but I assume before the Gaga pit was built in, Gaga was just a camp activity that maybe you could play in a makeshift way. So what's the evolution of Gaga at camp, which, as you said, is just a typical, like, camp game. So I'll, I'll build it up to when the Gaga pit was built, and then I'll toss it over to Greg. Perfect. So Gaga, I don't know if you went to any other camp before Baco or did day camp as a kid, but Gaga is like a classic camp game because you, don't, you just need basically a room and a ball. Yeah, um, that's true. So Gaga traditionally is played in like an enclosed area where you can use all the walls to bang the ball off of. So we used to actually, before – you know, the drama program took a big leap. We used to play it a lot in the social hall during rainy days because the social hall was a rainy day facility. Um, and we used to put all the social hall benches on the sides and build it in as like an enclosed, almost like octagon. It was even like the Army-Navy rainy day event. Yeah, it, it, it was like a go-to rainy day event, like on the level of dodgeball. Um, and we used to play it there. I even remember playing it, Greg, in the Dome, um, with bigger groups, maybe with more balls. Yeah, I remember. Also like, also, like, I remember being a really little kid playing it in the bunks. 
Like I remember really? as bunk. As oh yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember playing it in bunk nineteen when I was really young. Yeah. Danny and I would go down there when like, when like Zaz's like Ian Zaslansky, Zaz's dad would would was in that bunk. We'd go there as really little kids and play in the bunk. Yeah, and also probably I, not that. Also safe. the the area between bunks four and five, which is now enclosed, is just like the common room yeah. of the fun house. That used to be an outdoor porch between bunks four and five. And it had the walls of the bunks on two of the sides, then open walls on the other. We used to play it in there. So it was played all the time. Um, but then I think it kind of went away when the social hall got monopolized on rainy days with all the amazing rehearsals that are, that are going on. So Gaga kind of got phased out um, from like the rainy day rotation. but all these other camps started getting Gaga pits, like formal Gaga pits. And then what year did the Gaga pit come in, Greg? Maybe 2014? Earlier. Yeah, earlier. Definitely, definitely less than 10 years ago. Yeah. And so, you know, for those that haven't been to camp for a while or alumni that haven't been down to the lower, the Gaga pit is now between the volleyball court and kind of the first base dugout um, on the lower field. It's Greg, very popular with the, with, you know, Definitely with juniors, but even the seniors will go down there and have like intense octagon Gaga. It's in an octagon. Well, Gaga is the type of sport. I think Gaga is one of the sports where, as I said earlier, it takes little athletic ability. Like generally the people who are shorter are better um, at the game. I would say that Gaga, like whose idea was it to bring it in and like formalize it as not just like. I I think what it was, was um, we were getting new families coming to Baco and Chinawa and a lot of the younger kids were coming from day camps where just Gaga is so popular. And they would ask, you know, do you guys have a Gaga court? No, sometimes we play in the social hall, you know, sometimes. And so we, we built it mid-summer. Uh, and the guy that built it, you know, I don't know what company he was from or where they found him or whatever. He's just a really nice guy. And he took it so seriously. And he was in the main office like, like every day to, you know, to tell us what he was going to do and then he would go do it and then come up and give us an update before he left to come back the next day. And one of the funniest things about it was that number one, he looked like Ross Pollock, who if anybody knows Ross Pollock, he's a tall, gangly, very fair skinned, long haired guy from North Jersey. Who's, you know, a, a Baco ringer was a waiter's counselor, a great athlete, really a good guy. And just, it, it was funny to have a, a, you know, construction guy coming in that looked like our waiter's counselor. And then so there was that, well, and then also, <laughs> so well, Greg, in typical fashion, the first time he assigned Gaga to anybody, he assigned Ross Pollock because he looked like the guy. That yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then when the the guy, you know, Gaga, I think I don't want to like say more than I know, but I think it's an Israeli game. So you know, not a lot of. You know, it's not a very widely known game around the country. So this guy didn't know what Gaga was. He was just told, hey, build a bunch of plastic things in this shape. And, like, we need it done by Wednesday, you know. So he didn't know what the game was or what it was called or how to play it. So he would update us. be like, all right, so, you know, I, I, I was down there. We put in the plastic. We're getting the carpet coming in tomorrow. And then you got your Gaga. And then, you know, and then you have your guy. Do we think that that's the large, is it the largest uh, midsummer renovation, cosmetic renovation project? No, no. Uh, A little fun fact for you, Matt. Summer of 97, midsummer, we're talking like week two, the big court and the uh, three basketball uh, 
the three basketball courts all had these plastic backboards that have been there for years. Midsummer took them down on the big court and built the glass ones that are there. Wow, that that's a big difference. That's that a big difference. Guess, guess, oh, guess who hit the first shot on the hillside hoop on the glass backboard? Wow. Mel. Mel stood at the free throw line and stuck it. Like was he it was good like at basketball? Mel was an athlete, I think. I, I, I mean, Mel was an all-around athlete, but there's no way that he was going to miss that shot. So that was a midsummer renovation. So then you got your guy. Yeah. Yes. So that was midsummer. All right. So in terms of other uh, activities, to me, uh, another classic one has got to be Levine Ball. Um, so when was this invented? So we know it was um, invented by Mike Levine, aka Vino. But like, did he actually invent it, or is it like one of those things where like a lot of people invented? It, he just took the name. I mean, it's called Levine Ball. A bunch of his buddies were th- were supposedly there helping him invent it. And whenever any of those people hear it called Levine Ball, they always make it a point to know that they were there when it was invented also. And um, I don't know if you've heard heard that, but I'm sure it was a consortium of, uh, of guys around Vino's age. And it was a late 80s. I mean, I love Vino, and I love, but it's, it, like, it's really not that hard to create the rules to that game. You've seen team handball. It's basically team handball with like a little bit more loose of rules. Um, so basically, you're trying to get a ball in one uh, net. The other team's trying to get a ball in the other, and you can basically move the ball however you want. And if you're tagged, you got to freeze and give it to somebody else. Um, I mean, I'm sure Levine was the maestro behind like organizing the period where it was invented. But from what I remember and what I hear, he wasn't the only counselor there. Right. You know, his, his his family and and the kids that are friends with his kids and his nephews, they always love being assigned to Levine Ball. And I think there's definitely a little bit of a new tradition of of the younger bunks and the older bunks playing Levine Ball together. It's definitely one of those activities where you can play with your camp buddies. And yeah. uh, on visiting day, there's usually a – or on a bizarre weekend, there's usually a prop to Levine Ball game. You know, there's, like, weird quirky rules to it. Like, you throw the ball. It's definitely the main thing that, like, if you're any day you just walk in a camp, like, the upper is definitely occupied by a Levine ball game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember being a little kid when it was first invented, watching it and being like, wow, like, this looks fun. You know, guys are randomly punting the ball and throwing the ball and going behind the goal. And, you know, I mean, Levine is, like, a first ballot Baco Rushmore Hall of Fame guy. And it's like amazing that this activity has been named after him for like 30 plus years. Um, I had a counselor named Eric Saranek who was the same year as Levine, but for years he's like, you know, I was there too when that game was invented. Um, but it's crazy that it's still going on with the same name. And, you know, it's also a great activity where if we're trying to add volume to the lost and found. Yeah. In inventory because the kids just always just leave their shoes and their socks right there on the top of the hill yeah it's um you know not to talk about the negative part about these games but you know we talked about how these games are so inclusive and everybody can do them and there's not that much pressure on anyone to be good the key to these games is like their staying power right some of these are so good for like 10 15 minutes I would put Levine. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're getting a full hour of, like, competitive Levine ball. Levine ball is one. I mean, Gaga, because it's a new adventure every time the game resets. Um, so that one's a little bit easier to sustain for 45 minutes. Levine ball is one where, like, 
either you got to have a three-team rotation or play timed games like a seven-game series or something. You can't just roll it out and go 45 straight of like one Levine ball match. It just – I mean, there, there's also thinking it through. There was a, a waiter – I think the waiters of 2006 – no, no, I'm sorry, 2007 invented the game Petrangus. Am I right about that year? Um, you know, it was invented during the two years that I wasn't in camp. It was definitely um, – one yeah, it was like the the senior division in 05. So Petrangus was a game that was, it was it's in the hockey rink, and it was named after Petro and Langus Petrangus, and it was a mix between Levine ball soccer hockey ultimate football sort of thing in the hockey rink, and it, it was a great game and it, it it great idea, great rules, but impossible to play without breaking the hockey nets. So I think we eventually have to start using old hockey nets in order to get a Petrangus game to have any staying power. Yeah. I, Petrangus, it would be nice to trial run that this summer. See, yeah, we need to see the rules. All right, so the next question I have here for you, especially you, Danny, as someone who's been the head of basketball and on the courts like millions of hours. Brett, context for those of you who are older alumni, if you go to the courts now during rest hour, at really any time of the day, to be honest, you'll see like a minimum of four probably baskets that have the three-point contest going on. It's just like this is really infested camp. And I struggle sometimes to understand why this is just so popular when there's so many good basketball games like around the world, horse, 21, there's a million of these. But what is it about this three-point shootout that just resonates with people and why it's so popular at camp? All right, first off, I want to go on record as saying that I'm not a fan of it. Um, it's not that I'm not a fan of the game. I'm just not a fan of how popular it is because I don't think it's, 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 earned, it's earned its popularity. Um, just for those that don't know, this is a partner game where a group of two takes on another group of two, and there's you know one partner from each team. You know They start in opposite corners, and they hit – a three at all five spots, corner, wing, top, other wing, other corner. Then once you finish your five... And the second person is rebounding for the first one. Yeah, the second person is rebounding. Once you hit your fifth shot, then you and your partner swap roles, and then he goes back around and the first team to finish wins. And there's there's some rules about, like, rebuttals and, you know, and if there's a tie and overtime that I don't need to get into. But... It's a game that sometime in like the late 2000s, like in the 07 to 2010 era, where this game really took on new life. And I know Danny DeVere, who was head basketball um, during that time, I think he might have even made a move to outlaw it because he because he did. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, when I was growing up in camp, those games were replaced by Greg, you know, just – Poison one. There was poison. There was Knockout. a five three one around the world. There's a million uh, games for basketball. Yeah, knockout. The one that I think has been bumped out the most is knockout. When I was younger, knockout was king. Every rest hour, every free play after dinner, there were massive knockout games. Like I cut my teeth playing basketball, playing knockout. That's like where I. That's where I like learned to love it. That's where I learned to like play basketball. Was playing knockout. I mean, we the main hoop was the hoop going towards the lake on the first court was like the main knockout hoop, and the line used to go all the way back to like the hill 
or like almost like the water fountain. It, it was every time. And if you got but then out, if you got if you got out, you would just stick around and watch the game and, and like get into watch it. The game until you were back in. And I'm sorry to say to some of those Banco alums out there, that just does not happen anymore. It's like twice a summer you'll get like a solid game. Yeah, but Wasp, we used to have this all rest hour every day. It was as popular as the three-point shootout is now. But so, except for it involves every kid. Yeah, so the three-point contest, I mean, I could take a shot at like millennials here, but like I just feel like it's like lazy and easy and like – there's, you know, poison. You needed to like some strategy. And five, three, one. It was like you had to. There was a little patience involved. And twenty-one might have been a little. Well, the other thing with three-point contests is you could be sitting on the bench, not stretched out, and like you could just play. Yeah, but um, isn't that why it's so popular? Because like you'll just walk onto the court and just like get up. Again. Yeah, that's probably why. Also, like no one could do anything anymore except for shoot threes, and they can't even do that well. So it's like. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm wondering. I wonder how much of an influence that era where, where we were practicing full court shots. I wonder if that had any influence. There was a late '90s era when just practicing full court shots was a thing, and then it turned into shots from the hill, which we now call the Eucleson because Eucleson actually hit it. When you shoot it from like, from like someone made that hill. shot. That, that's a whole other podcast. That's a thirty for thirty, but. Um, yeah, we, we need to make that podcast. Maddie, I, I don't know the answer to your question about why, um, but I know it's been like a massive, probably the biggest change, one of the bigger changes, if you just take a snapshot of the courts, you know, 25 years ago or 15 years ago to now. Um, and I'm not a fan of it. I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's lazy. I think it's diluted. I don't think it has any effect on how well anybody actually shoots. Um, and I have some bones to pick, like, with the game itself. Um, but I'm a traditionalist in a lot of ways. Yeah, you're, you're a little bit, you know, like Charles Barkley talking about Steph Curry here. But I think that I, I do agree with you in that I don't think it helps people. I think in a lot of ways, actually, when, like, very young kids play it, I think it actually hurts them a fair amount because, like, there's this effort. I know when I was little and I first got to camp, like, I don't think I can hit that shot without chucking. As, like, most kids who are, like, in the 8 to 10 range cannot hit that shot without chucking the ball. I think it actually so, screws up your form because there's a real, like, push oh, yeah. to be able to I make mean, it. So I think get, that's actually probably a negative, right? When you get, like, Jake and Tyler Burke out there who are, like, 12-year-olds with, like, legit jumpers with, like, good form, yeah, it's great. And, like, they're awesome. But when you get, you know, kids, you know, below that age or below that level, just launching up threes, yeah, it's brutal. And with knockout, we used to play primarily from the foul line, right, Greg? I know we did like three point knockout, but like the standard knockout game was from the foul line. So there's like almost everybody was involved. And I mean, counselors would play, and it was. Uh, I I will say the three point game has helped the following has helped the following classification of player, all right? The fourth or fifth guy on your league's team is more of a threat now because they're like, yeah. like a Dylan Reckler or a Brucey became an asset in a league's game because they could hit a corner three because they've rehearsed it all a thousand times. Um, somebody like you even, Maddie, where like you can come in 
and your reps of like shooting the shots you're going to get in the league's game, you were so much more used to it. I don't think I ever took a mid-range jumper in a league's game, but I think it really, it's kind of mirrors in a lot of ways, like the current NBA, like. Totally, totally. And I've been saying that with a lot of this, like basketball stuff that we podcast about, like as crazy as it sounds, like the open floor positionless basketball NBA is filtered down to like the inner camp Jewish sleepaway camp basketball circuit. It just has, but, um, the regular Brucey types, tennis playing coordinated but not basketball player that can just you know like your tooch or your reckler or your brucey or your i mean in, in in the 90s there was guys that would be lights out from three that were your fourth guy that were on your leagues team that would end up winning mvp of leagues because of their hot streaks to be from beyond the arc now those guys are a dime because probably yeah. a lot yeah because so- of the yeah, so, I mean, I can't you – know, when I think of this game, I think of, like, the <laughs> can't stop saying Reckler and Brucey, but it's just, like, those guys were probably the biggest beneficiaries. I will tell you without a doubt that it has not helped in-game shooting for, like, the real players. I mean, of course it helps in that they get their reps, but, like, these are not game shots. And the other thing that bothers me about this game is that the actual – rebounding part of it does not seem to be taken seriously enough like the guy who's rebounding never seems to be working hard to get his uh i mean i'd push back on the fact that it depends how competitive the game is and it also depends the level of three-point shooting like if you're playing with like elite players like someone if your glass is in your game he's not missing a shot so badly that the ball is you know going halfway down the middle court but like when you're playing with some like the younger kids who are airballing shots or like missing ugly, like that ball's going far. You better the rebounder's got to work for it. I'm talking the standard third period Goldstein's versus you know two kids in bunk twenty three. Nobody's working hard for the rebound, but here's the part that even bothers me more. No one takes pride in the pass to the shooter. The pass anyone who's a shooter knows like a bad pass like your percentage of it going in goes way down you need to be in some sort of rhythm and as much as we play that game no one i mean you think that the guy who gets more attempts should have a better chance to win so with that being said the rebounder should really be working to get the ball back to you and he's got to throw you like a good pass to your it's shot. like how danny green doesn't make a three unless the ball's passed high to him yeah no it's passed low he only makes them when they're passed low <laughs> So Danny and I, Danny and I were up at camp for Labor Day for our nieces' Bob Mitzvah. We we did a three point contest against Leo Hoffman and Chuck Bookfar, and Danny and I smoked them. Yeah, so both caught fire. I just I, 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 I just I just think like if we're gonna play that game as much as we do, there's some details that are ignored that bother me. I, can we just go ahead and blame the Goldsteins for all this, please? <laughs> <laughs> I love Max and Jake, but I'm blaming them for this. Yeah, so I think that we hit that game pretty good. That, But that's really just, like, it's part of camp. Like, it's a big part of camp. If you were doing a pie chart of, like, a, the most important things of camp, that would be, like, disproportionately large. Um, Correct. So I, mean, I think, I'm, also, yeah. I mean, as much as I, as much as I am in charge of the courts and as much as I disdain, they, like, as much as I don't like the game, I've already lost the battle. Like, there's no way I'm coming in and banning the game. Yeah, you would you would be uh yeah, there'd be a riot I think yeah, if you yeah, went. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not what the constituents want. Right. Yeah, so I think another game that definitely needs to get some justice on this podcast is dodgeball. Now, dodgeball is of course a game that 
is played everywhere. I think the most common iteration of dodgeball, there's, I mean, there's hundreds, but I think the one at camp, medball is definitely the one that's, like, has the best status amongst camp in terms of, like, I don't know about the old times, like, when you guys were at camp, I don't know what the most pop, if it was just, like, straight-up dodgeball, if there was, like, you guys were playing with variations. But I know in my era of dodgeball, medball is definitely one where there's one person who, if you get out, you take a seat, and the medman can come get you um, and bring you back up. So I don't know what the variations were in your era, but at least in my era where we played in the Superdome, that's mainly what the game is. So it might shock you there weren't many variations back in our day. It was just the standard... You get out, you go to the side, somebody hits the half-court shot, you come back in. Now, you picture those rules in the Superdome, and it doesn't seem that exciting. I was going to say, I think one of the biggest things here is the dome. dome, The the enclosedness of the dome and the volume of the dome just increase the quality of dodgeball by, like, 500%. Was the dome, like, material on the walls where it would bounce all the way back? Or was it, like, soft no, where it would bounce it would, right it down? it would soften up. It would, you, you couldn't throw it off the wall and have it bounce back to you. It was a tarp. It was like a loose tarp. But also, you know, we, we switched over to the foam dodgeballs probably a decade ago because that's what you're supposed to what be. What it used to be. Hey, in the dome, we used to use, like, red playground balls and, like, fire it at each oh, other. Oh, that would, like, I feel like that could hit someone in the head. Oh, yeah, and if you you dunk and it hits you in the head, you're out because you're supposed to... If it hits you in the head, you're not supposed to be out, but if you duck, you're out because it's your fault. I mean, like anything else, it's completely counselor-driven. If the counselors are on it, it could be an amazing period. If if they're not, it's... it's Dodgeball was always always well-received, though, by the kids. You know who didn't like dodgeball, Greg? Do you remember who hated dodgeball? Bob hated dodgeball. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. He Anything where was, people get out, you know. He thought it was in a. He thought it was too quick of a solution for rainy day, and it was not creative the way that we used to. Probably play. bred laziness a little bit. Um, you know? Bred laziness, and it was just like we didn't have any fun rules, like the med ball rule that we talked about. It was the only thing good was if you hit the half court shot, everybody comes back in. Now that moment was always like, yeah, oh, it's, it's like, like it's like, like the there. peak. Yeah, but dodgeball in the Superdome, unless you've got creative counselors, it probably doesn't have much staying power. The Dome, it was a little bit more intense, and you could really get a good 45-minute sweat in there playing dodgeball. But um, I'm not a huge fan of the game in the Superdome. Yeah, well, the Superdome... There's so many many other cool things you can do up there. It's just such an amazing facility. Or there could be other places in camp to potentially play like smaller dodgeball games. Really, I've never seen a dodgeball game played at camp not on the su- not on the Superdome. Yeah, but I'm just saying because we haven't thought creatively. But I'm sure True. I'm sure they're in. Outdoor. Yeah. So okay, the last the last one I really want to hit on here is lightning ball. Now I think this is one that is played primarily with younger kids. Like that you grow out of lightning ball at some point, right? Because at some point you could just like whoop the ball over the fence. But lightning ball is one where you're playing with a... It's basically tennis racket, using a tennis racket and tennis ball to play baseball. So what do we think of... What do we think of lightning ball as a game? When I was a kid, I definitely liked it. Um, again, when the counselors make it great, it's awesome. There's a couple of good strategies with lightning ball. Number one, whatever you have... Like, if you, you have to look at your schedule. This is a group leader's job, but by looking at the schedule bringing your racket with you to whatever periods you have beforehand. 
especially obviously if you have tennis somewhere in the day, but not having to go back to the bunk to get it just increases your readiness because there is a speed factor in there. When you're up there ready, you're you're mentally prepared to, to play a lightning ball. There's also, you know, the whole you got to hit it out of the infield. Uh, I think you bat through the lineup. Um, right? There's all sorts of variations. You can play with pitching. You can, you know, lot pitching. You can play self, whatever. You can I'm, a big, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the self pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Greg, you just brought up the point about having your racket, you know, maybe go from tennis to lightning ball, whatever. Here's a novel idea that would probably lead to less lost rackets. How about you just one racket? How about you just have one racket at each field that everyone uses, or maybe like one oversized and one like smaller one? Like you do your own racket. That's a good point. So you need to bring eighteen, you know, rackets to a lower field for lightning ball. There's no chance you're getting all eighteen back. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. Do we think though that? Lightning ball is a upper or lower. Like when you picture yourself playing lightning ball, are we picturing it on the upper or lower? Like what's a better light? I picture myself on the lower, but it's probably better on the upper. Well, if I you picture, same, same, same. I picture me playing it on the lower, but I it depends how old you are. Well, if you're playing with the rule that you have to hit it out of the infield, then it's a very different sport because the infield is so much bigger on the lower. I think if you played with. I think if you played with, like, lob pitching and regular baseball rules and maybe have a few more fielders out there, and you play with older kids, it could actually be, like, a pretty funny activity to do with, like, cows or house or maybe you got to put the pitcher, the pitching mound a little bit further back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you could get yeah. clobbered. Yeah. But um, it could it's be pretty- one of those activities that leads the league in leaving your equipment at the facility oh yeah but if you but if you just picture this let's say you have 20 kids in bunk 23 you know you take all 20 of those kids you put them in two teams of 10 you play maybe even team pitches you know have your own team lob to you you hit you play regular baseball rules just once just do it once and like you have the other 10 players scattered around the field wherever you want you mean to tell me Whatever activity is going on in the hockey rink and on the tennis courts isn't going to shut down to go watch that. <laughs> Everyone would go watch that for sure, for sure. Are you picturing that happening? You're picturing that happening on the upper, right? People just pulling them right to the second. Yeah, closet. yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's going down to the lower. And if you I hit do, it over the fence and right, you're out. I do remember after my first summer of camp on my old Apple Two C, writing a letter. Typing a letter, I probably didn't even know how to type. Typing a letter to Mel about how much fun I had at camp my first summer, and I mentioned my my favorite activity was lightning ball. Oh my God. <laughs> Matt, did you know the rules on the upper off the top of your head? For like any softball or anything? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I know that the most disputed rule about baseball, the softball and camp in general, I think this needs to be a separate podcast, potentially, uh, down the road, is the rules about uh, league slash Olympic softball. It's the most contentious rule. But I feel like it's a single... Let's if not go into this. Yeah, that's not... Are you, yeah, are, you, are you about to talk about the bell rule? No, no. I'm saying that's a separate podcast. When we talk about rules and anything on the upper, that has to be number one. But we're not going to talk about that. Um, What I'm saying is... I think it's a single if you hit it over the right field wall, right? And, like, sometimes, like, yeah. you can have, like, you know, one every ten events, like, G-Dog just hits a bomb 
over the right field wall and it's a single. Yeah, I mean, we could go really deep on solutions to these problems, um, but now it's just so part of lore. Like, it would it would be a sacrilege to change that rule as it would be for me to end the three-point shootout on, on the courts. Um, that's a whole other podcast. The yeah, baseball rules. Cool. That That's a different yeah. podcast, for sure. But I think that... No, we hit that one pretty good. I mean, I think that the upper is definitely a unique environment for that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, and my last question here before we wrap up is we talk about Mel. What do you think his favorite of these activities was? Like, if he was to pick one, what was he – what do you think he's picking? Mel? Yeah. Uh, Mel was a traditionalist. He he loved basketball and baseball and – but so did he not yeah. like the side game, like the? I mean, Mel, Mel loved everything about camp. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Uh, uh, probably lightning ball because it mirrors the most, like it just mirrors a regular sport. But Mel was into everything. He was also he probably loved capture the flag because of it involved so many kids and everybody was active. I gotta say, uh, I, I, I the all camp capture the flag. Way. I might go to the, we might go to the drawing board on that one. I might try to uh, think. I'm I'm gonna try to brainstorm on that one. I will tell you though. I mean, might be a little bit off the answer, but just to give you a little lens on like stuff Mel cared about with that it was, I remember having like fifth grade basketball leagues or junior basketball. It, it was some younger league where Mel came around on his cart, and it was the first time that we had it like that summer. And, you know, I was working hard to make the teams fair and to have the coaches, like, make sure they were playing everybody. And, you know, I was trying to show up the details that I thought were important. And Mel came by in his car, and I was older. Like, I was already in my 30s probably. And, you know, it clearly wasn't going well. It was, like, disorganized. didn't look great. Probably the details I cared about were probably fine, but the basketball part didn't look great. And Mel called me over, and he was like, you know, He's like, why don't you spend this time teaching them, like, when the ball goes through the hoop, one person takes it out and, like, one person brings it up. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, that's more important than any of this other stuff. Like, Mel, Mel, like, had a genius about him where I was just like, yeah, like, who cares if the teams are fair if we're not playing it right? You know, Mel, Mel Mel was able to break it down to, like, the lowest common denominator of what was important and what drives the activity, and he called me over, and I was like an experienced coach at this point. And he it was also a brilliant move by him to keep his bathing suit at the lake, so he would never yeah. have to, like, yeah. remember to, like, he would just go down to the lake, and be like, oh, okay, I'll go for a swim, my bathing suit's down here. Yeah, because he just saw how kids were just arguing the whole time over who was going to bring the ball to the court, and all He just had, like, a little bit of a genius about him. Um, but once again, that's, that's probably a podcast for another time. Yeah, we'll definitely hit on that one. All right, thank you guys for doing this so much, and we will def- definitely do some more podcasts soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Danny.